Welcome to Federal Insights, how intelligent automation and AI are transforming government. Sponsored by KPMG. Now here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Kirk Everson, Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. Kirk, good to have you. Thanks for being here. And our topic is robotic process automation. And let's begin with exactly what it is because sometimes the artificial intelligence people describe their thing and it sounds like RPA. Sometimes the RPA describe things and it sounds like AI. So let's sort that out, exactly what RPA is. Uh, that's a really good question. I think it's important to level set uh, to understand the, the, the technology spectrum that's out there uh, with uh, intelligent automation and artificial intelligence. You, you kind of have to look at it, I, I'll, I'll call it in three different buckets, where robotics process automation is in that first bucket of, of I'll call it um, very simple, basic process automation, where you're dealing with processes that are are more structured uh, and the data itself is also more structured and, and things that you're trying to automate are, are transactional and, and, and frankly mundane uh, in nature. So RPA specifically is, is automating at that kind of user interface or desktop level uh, where, where you're essentially having a, a point and click type automation, kind of like an Excel spreadsheet uh, macro would, would, uh, would encompass. Uh, and then you kind of move up the stack and get into more enhanced automation where you're introducing things like uh, natural language processing or learning assist and, and a use case that's typically in that kind of uh, uh, middle bracket or, or, or class is, uh, is conversational intelligent uh, chatbots where you actually are using natural language processing to either interface with a, with a customer or a citizen mm -hmm. or, or to understand sentiment and tone in, in, a, in an interaction. And then finally... I was going to say in that second level, that would be when it begins to feel like AI because it does respond to the individual and change as, as the conversation, quote unquote, proceeds. Right, there, there's that human and machine partnership, if you will, where, you know, I think I, I equate it to my kids trying to talk to things that shouldn't be talked to in the house or trying to swipe their finger on the TV, right? It's another way for the human to interface with, with technology. And so you're right, exactly. It, it, getting into natural language processing in that realm is, is definitely part of that uh, AI, that true AI. And then finally, you know, when you get into that more advanced uh, realm where you've got uh, machine learning uh, as well as the, the true artificial intelligence neural networks, where you're actually having the computer develop its own, um, uh, I'll call it intelligence over time, whether it's through user interface training or through machine learning where the machine is, is looking at data and, and updating its, its ability to provide increased confidence intervals and hypotheses, that's where you're actually getting into that augmented or artificial intelligence realm. And I guess uh, some of the use cases might be this whole digital services strategy that agencies are, at least in theory, under obligation to begin mm -hmm. deploying. How can it work in a situation like that? Uh, that's, that's important. I think the administration has underscored the importance of artificial intelligence. Obviously, there's global pressures to, to make sure that we're keeping up. Uh, I think agencies are, are, are looking at uh, proofs of concept and pilots right now in various use cases from, from back office, middle, and front office where it impacts the citizen. I think what's important is, is you really need to focus on, like you said, that digital strategy overall to make sure the agency can understand how do you apply those different technology capabilities to the right use cases. Yeah, so really this is a matter of not just simply the CIO office or the CISO office, it sounds like a lot of people need to be involved in developing your agency use cases. Mm -hmm. I th one of the things that we try to do uh, is we'll get with an agency to do what we call opportunity assessment workshops. So we, we find that the best use cases are, are frankly from the folks in the field, on the ground, on the front lines that are, that are processing data, that are, that are transacting agency business on a daily basis. And so through these workshops, we're able to determine a, an automation roadmap and, and, and apply that roadmap through selectivity criteria 
to a prioritized use case list of, and then we apply the right technologies to the right uh, use cases. Yeah, and what about user-centered design? Because that, from what you've been saying, that sounds like that fits in here somewhere. It does, and I think as, as we've found, I mean, a lot of federal agencies are dealing with legacy IT, and so there are actually uh, technologies out there that allow you to, instead of rip and replace these legacy IT uh, uh, concepts and, and infrastructures, but, but to actually overlay with a better user experience and a better UI to, to basically allow the employee or the citizen to, to have a better citizen interaction. And in many cases, you're using things like chatbots and natural language processing to have another aspect of interface between, again, that human and machine. And when uh, continuing on that theme of deploying this externally for the citizen or some mm -hmm. constituency-based type of application, how do you make sure that you are interacting in a way that will be meaningful to the larger community? Seems like you need to bring members of the public in almost to be able to be part of the experiment and part of the learning uh, part of this. That's a great point, and I think we kind of look at it in two ways. Uh, one, you want to involve the user as soon as you can up front, and, and a lot of times we'll do that in user acceptance testing or or, or design thinking sessions that we have with, with, with certain folks that are going to be part of that uh, population. But then we also have a concept called AI in control, where we have a framework and a methodology that basically instantiates things like reduction of bias, training bias, and AI algorithms, uh, the, the incorporation of, of security and controls in the process to make sure that especially with, with citizen-facing uh, interactions, you're controlling that interaction in a way that you can trust the AI and not just kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best. Sure, so that means that within the agency's own data holdings, if you're going to interact meaningfully with people in, in, in an RPA setting, you've got to have some data about them. Data is extremely critical, and, and the one nice thing about RPA is, is you're going to apply it to very structured data sets, so data prep on the class one basic process automation is a little bit more straightforward. We're seeing use cases in the back office around automating you know, finance and HR processes. But as you get up into that more advanced analytics, predictive analytics, machine learning, data strategy and data prep is extremely important. You can't, you can't just dump data into a black box and expect that sausage to be made on the other side. You really have to have that data uh, strategy in place. And looking internally within the agency for users that are part of the federal employee workforce, what are some use cases for the internal look for RPA? So I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, a lot of these federal employees and, and contractors and, 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 and the like are just frustrated with doing these mundane tasks. And so, you know, can, can we, instead of having someone literally turning pages 90 degrees on a PDF or pulling data from, from hundreds of public websites, why, why can't we automate that and then have that, that, that analyst focus on the results and the exceptions? And so a lot of the internal use cases are around enabling the workforce to be more cognitive and to be less transactional. All right, let's take a break on that note. My guest today is Kirk Everson, Principal and Government Intelligence Automation Leader at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, on the discussion, How Intelligent Automation and AI Are Transforming Government, sponsored by KPMG, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business admission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash US backslash gov automation. Welcome back to our discussion, how intelligent automation and AI are transforming government, sponsored by KPMG. I'm Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Kirk Everson, 
principal and government intelligent automation leader at KPMG. And Kurt, let's get into some of the nitty gritty of this RPA and AI whole complex. And I think one of the big challenges, and you've pointed out, is the workforce mm -hmm. that is going to design and carry out and operate these systems. What are some of the challenges there? So, so as I mentioned before, the, the, the human and machine interaction is, is becoming more and more prevalent as, as we start to introduce these AI technologies. Uh, there's also, and you've heard it before on, on, on many forums, the, the, the in, in my opinion, unsubstantiated fears of, of, of these technologies negatively impacting uh, the, the, the workforce. And, and, and it's funny, we just did a survey globally and, and it found that senior executives are implementing AI uh, for the reasons uh, not related to workforce reduction. In fact, 1% said we're doing this for cost savings purposes. Uh, the, the majority of what we're seeing is excitement around these technologies, and so uh, agencies uh, are, are standing up these communities of practice around these types of tools and techniques and capabilities to create that buzz, to create that excitement, and to inspire their employees to come up with these use cases that would make their jobs more meaningful for them. So I think it's extremely important that we remember that the workforce is the genesis of these use cases, and the workforce is going to be the ones that are actually implementing these technologies. And so I think, I think as we think technology, we think bits and bytes, but it's really all about how the humans, again, will interface with these new technologies. In many ways, this is an evolution of the automation that has been happening in offices ever since, I mean, I remember when the first PCs deployed, right. you had to put in five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Right. Nobody has to do that anymore. Right. That, that right. I Maybe in the government somewhere. Right. But this is just another step in the long evolution of people reacting with machines. And uh, so training would seem to be kind of a big part of this if you're going to have success. I think it's, it's, it's a couple things. It's, it's training not only uh, how to do their jobs uh, with, with these new technologies, but it's also upskilling to, to better uh, arm our, our workforce with the new tools and techniques to be able to then implement on their own. I mean, you know, things like RPA, you, you can build your own automations at the attended desktop level in a matter of, of hours, if not minutes, for simpler uh, processes. So, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this before where, you know, my, my children are used to talking at appliances and, and swiping things when, you know, you and I were hitting play on our Walkman. So I think it's, it's looking at how we increase the, the, the ways in which we interface with technology and how we upskill our workforce to be able to enable those, to, those tools. And what about the IT workforce? And there's two issues there. One, they might need to be, I guess, comfortable with the automation of back office IT routines that right. they might have done manually, moving workloads around or whatever. Mm -hmm. Nobody puts in disk packs anymore either right. for that matter. Right. And also the people that program this. Sure. It's a whole new world for them too in some ways. It is, and, and I think you know, one of the lessons learned that, that, I'll, that I'll say now is uh, you, you really need to have IT at the table with you uh, to, to be able to support your vision, you know, because again, you want to have that business or mission objective in, in, in mind to be able to accomplish a certain goal and allow technology to get you there. But it's important to have that partnership with IT to enable you from an infrastructure perspective, uh, from a technology perspective, but also, they have their own use cases that they want to uh, apply. I mean, one, one example, I mean, it's very tedious to, you know, from, from a cyber perspective to recertify access control lists. Someone is literally, you know, looking at access control lists, comparing it to a, an HR separation list. Well, why not create an automation to, to, to do that, you know, in, in real time, especially for smaller organizations that can't afford these enterprise cybersecurity uh, platforms. And what about areas like cybersecurity, automation, mm -hmm. cloud computing, CDM, all of these initiatives and policies for the federal government that, that have a lot of tasks. It sounds sure. like they could be automated also. De definitely, and I think, you know, I, there, there's no shortage of data in the federal government, right? And I think if you can apply these tools 
uh, you're going to be drowning in data. You're going to have a really hard time implementing things like CDM, continuous monitoring, continuous evaluation, looking at the workforce to make sure you have that trusted workforce. Uh, so, so I think it's important that you know we're not implementing these technologies because it's it's cool. We're implementing them out of necessity because of the fact that we can't throw enough humans at this data to be able to parse through it and really get actionable outcomes. Sure, and what about the governance of all of this? If you have these robotic processes running all over the place, mm -hmm. I imagine there are some real issues for the agency to deal with to make sure everything is done properly according to statute and regulation. Sure. And you know, is policy up to the technology in this particular field? Yeah, I think governance is, 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 is a fairly all-encompassing uh, term that talks about uh, you know, decision-making in the agency, and, and dimensions of that include things like security and, and policy. You know, a lot of agencies are taking a second look at how they manage their security. You know, historically, I wouldn't think to give access to some type of thing called a bot or, or an algorithm without some type of human in the loop. And so now we're having to go back and look at, say, well, how do we, how do we authorize an automation to interface with a system that is used to having a cat card or a PIV card? You know, the bots mm -hmm. don't have those. They don't walk around with a lanyard. Uh, so, so I think policy is playing a little bit of catch up to technology. Uh, but the governance aspect is extremely important because, you know, as we implement these techniques, it's important to have that enterprise-wide oversight. You know, a lot of agencies are getting started, which is great, but, you know, you're starting to see pockets of excellence, and you really want to make sure that you can leverage the lessons learned across the enterprise. And sometimes things don't go according to how you planned. What about building in the auditability or, mm -hmm. let's say, the rewind function, sure. to use that phrase, uh, for some of the algorithms and some of the automated processes? Is that something you should think about? Is it doable? I think it's 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 a must, and I think agencies, you know, on on the first first meeting are talking about how is this secure, and I, I think you know vendors understand it, uh, the, the service providers understand it, so a lot of these these uh, techniques and tools have audit logs built in. Uh, we've got a methodology called AI and control that really puts a framework uh, around making sure that the algorithms are are, are initiated and, and instantiated in a, in a secure and trusted manner. So I think it is important that security is at the table day one to make sure that these things uh, are applied appropriately. So that methodology, AI in control, that's something, a framework in other words, it's probably good to have a structured approach Correct. to make sure that you have conformance to policy, sure. whether it's in the back shop automation or mm -hmm. deployment to the public. Right, and, and I think it's important to remember that you know any, any type of framework or methodology needs to be tailored to the agency that you're working with. A lot of agencies are ahead of the game and they're, 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 they're leveraging their existing SDLC and their security processes, but they're, they're implementing uh, you know, data science um, uh, techniques into actually those, those processes themselves. And so I think you want to make sure you can configure your, your governance and security in a way that, that, that also meets the needs of your agency's processes. Yeah, it's an interesting problem because the security requirements writ large create logs and data, and yet right. the automation of handling them also creates logs and data right. of their own. Right, yeah, it, it's, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's the call, the, the data exhaust, right? When, you, when you've, you've, you've implemented new technologies, there's more data to, to, to contend with, and that's why I think as, as you start to think about governance, also think about, well, how can I leverage these new data sets, and what can I do with them, and how can I apply AI to those data sets? So it's, it's, it's a bit of a cycle, right? Um, so having, having that data science uh, application, having the ability to, to encompass the data from an infrastructure and cloud perspective is extremely important for these things to be successful. Yeah, so that seems to mitigate in favor of having everybody involved from, say, the top of the agency to make sure that the policy is covered, mm -hmm. and those policies are meaningful, and yet at the same time you need to have your tech people because they're the ones that are stewards of all of this output and, as you put it, data exhaust. 
I think it's important that you, as you said, the top of the organization, you have that evangelist, that executive evangelist that can that can kind of carry the flag and 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 support the effort from a from a governance perspective, but also from a strategy perspective. You shouldn't be implementing anything that doesn't align to the agency strategy, right? I mean, it's great to have an R and D uh, component to what you're doing, but ultimately you want to support that agency strategy, and that's. That's really where the workforce comes in to, to again, in, implore and, and, and implement some of these use cases that are going to have the highest impact. All right. My guest today is Kirk Everson, Principal and Government Intelligence Automation Leader at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is how intelligent automation and AI are transforming government, sponsored by KPMG, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business and mission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash us backslash gov automation. Welcome back to our discussion, how intelligent automation and AI are transforming government. Sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Kirk Everson, Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Kirk, in this final segment, let's talk about, well, some of the basics here. How do you acquire intelligent automation, robotic process automation? Is it something in a box? Can you go and download it, or is it more than that? Great question, because I think there's a lot of confusion as to, to, to what AI is, right? It's not, you know, is it a black box or not? I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a number of things, uh, but primarily I'll kind of break it down into, I'll say two things. You've got the, the vendor ecosystem around the technologies, uh, and then you've got the, the, the implementers of that technology or the service providers that can help agencies augment their current workforce to implement these new, new tools and techniques. Um, you know, there, there, you know, you look at the RPA space, there are, there are RPA vendors that, that focus just on RPA, although they are instantiating a lot of uh, cognitive techniques into their RPA platforms. Um, as you move up the stack, if you will, to the more advanced analytics and AI, uh, a lot of the, the larger, uh, more cognitive uh, automation vendors are actually um, moving in, 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 out of necessity uh, to cloud-based APIs uh, to, to be sure that you can leverage the compute power of cloud and frankly the, the, the volume of data that needs to be processed uh, in the cloud environment. And so, so from that perspective, you're, you're not buying this big on-prem rack, you're actually paying by the drink, if you will, for the usage of those API uh, calls. Uh, RPA, you're, you're going to buy a platform or potentially, you know, which could be on-prem or on the cloud. And so, so agencies need to look at, you know, what's the right vendor for my use case. Again, you don't want to kill a fly with a hammer, as they say, and, and throw cognitive automation as something that can be addressed with RPA. So I think, as I mentioned before, having the user community uh, and your workforce understanding uh, the technologies as a baseline, but also what use cases apply to the right technology. And then, who do you want to help you implement that? A lot of agencies have mixed teams where they've got their own employees trained up and they're working alongside a, a service provider like, like KPMG. Uh, we're bringing in data science and other experts to help supplement what they're doing and then getting them trained up and upskilled so again, they can manage this on their own. So so again, to kind of summarize, you really want to have the, the technology provider from a vendor perspective and, and you want to have the, the folks that can help you implement that. It sounds like you need to think about performance, basic performance, and especially if it's a digital service that's going to be nationally deployed and architecture. 
because you're not buying a rack, so this is not something to put in your agency data center. Right. In fact, it sounds like you would want to have multiple instantiations across the country in different clouds mm -hmm. just for sheer performance. Yeah, I think you're going you're, you're, you're to want to make sure that you have uh, whatever continuity of operations that the agency requires. Uh, so if you're, especially for agency uh, mission-related work, so if you're using um, you know, cloud-based APIs to bring in machine learning algorithms or natural language processing and things like that, that are mission-critical processes, you're going to back those processes up just like you would normally back up your servers that are processing that mission data. And so I think a lot of agencies, they, they get kind of caught up on, well, this is new technology, and, and, and how do we apply this to our infrastructure? And I, and I would argue that follow your existing processes, follow your existing SDLCs, follow your existing security controls, understanding that there are certain uh, nuances to these new technologies that uh, that are in place. So you're still going to look at service level agreements, you're still going to look at um, you know uptime metrics mm -hmm. and, and things like that. It's just applying um, kind of different algorithms to those to those use cases. Can your SLAs include, say, response time for a citizen or user such that if they type in something to a chatbot, mm -hmm. it's not going to take two hours to respond, or two minutes, or maybe it should be right. 20 seconds. Yeah, I, I think I think you can. I think it depends on the use case. I think ultimately, if the agency has a requirement for immediate response or 24-hour response for email uh, responses, that, that should be definitely a requirement that is that is uh, passed on. Um, the, the nice thing about these technologies is, is it does have the ability to provide that instant feedback and the ability to understand sentiment, the ability to understand tone. So that, that customer experience, that customer interaction uh, becomes you know, almost inherent in the technology. Yeah, so you can really read what's going on, or the machine can read what's going on and maybe tailor the response right. if it sounds urgent or it's an emergency versus, right. you know, how do I file XYZ form? Or, or if, if, if it turns out it's a new use case that the, the, the technology can't process, it can actually hand that, that, that citizen off to a real human if you've got a call center situation sure. w without the human really seeing much of a speed bump, if you will. And just backing upstream one more step, what are some of the best practices in setting requirements in the first place? I think it's important to remember, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the federal government and, and state and local governments have been focused for the longest time on a waterfall approach. And, and I think with these technologies, everyone knows that the agile approach is going to be extremely important. You want that constant feedback. You want that constant iteration with the, the community that's, that's using the tool, but also the folks that are building the tool to make sure that you're going to meet those requirements in a timely manner. Because I think we all know I want to download that app and I want to use it immediately, right? So, so waiting three, six, seven, ten, 12 months to, to get something up and running is, is sometimes not meeting the expectation of the citizen. So it sounds like starting out in this whole RPA area, you need to have a good, strong vision, but you've got to stay agile and flexible on your feet to really deploy it in the best way. Yeah, and I think it's having uh, immediate and ongoing access with the, 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 the folks that are, aren't the technical people. It's the folks that are, that are doing the day-to-day -day that have the best expertise in that process. And so that's where the agile process comes in, is making sure that you can get that data in real time and, and understand that process in real time. And, and let's improve that process while we're doing it, right? We can automate bad processes all we want, but maybe we take this opportunity to actually re-engineer that process. All right, good place to end on. I'd like to thank today's guest, Kirk Everson, as Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, how intelligent automation and AI are transforming government. Sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This entire program can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. Search KPMG.
From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business admission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash us backslash gov automation.